I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is uh, David Tabatsky, author of Filthy Rich Lawyers, Book One, The Education of Ryan Coleman. Naive young attorney Ryan Coleman jumps feet first into the hedonist world of wealth and power at the core of class action law and finds himself in way over his head in a satirical legal thriller filled with scenarios loosely based on real world interactions with lawyers, judges and plaintiffs included in the cast of colorful characters is Eugenia Jean Colley, a female shark in the male-dominated legal world whose life spirals tragically out of control, and Randy Hollis, an insanely successful lawyer turned multi-billionaire who is pursuing his ultimate American dream, buying a professional football team. Author and attorney Brian Felgosi, alongside co-author David Tabatsky, reveal the surprising ways in which our system of class action law enables, and it's mostly men, to get ridiculously wealthy and behave like sophomoric frat boys. As media billionaire Mortimer Zuckerman once said, referring to some lawyer's self-indulgence and unbridled hubris, practicing law is the exact opposite of sex. Even when it's good, it's bad. Welcome to the show, David. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about Filthy Rich Lawyers. This is what the book is about, revealing the surprise, and I already said this, but I'm going to repeat it, revealing the surprising ways in which our system of class action law enables mostly men to get ridiculously wealthy and behave like sophomoric frat boys. seems to me we're seeing this every day, right, in the news. it's it's. Uh, I don't know if it's happening more and more, or that's the reason you wrote the book. But uh, so why do we need to know about these filthy rich lawyers uh, who are becoming or have the potential for becoming billionaires? Well, from a general 30,000 foot view, it's happening more and more what I call men behaving badly. Um, That kind of goes across the board. (laughs) And a lot of it does happen. And it begins, I think, in the whole fraternity world um, in elite universities and big state universities where when men are left unsupervised, young men especially, they develop and and feel support for the worst of their human inclinations. And then when you add big paychecks onto that, it just gets worse and worse and spirals really, really out of control. The legal system kind of supports all this bad behavior and, in fact, even invites it. I mean, if you just look at just look at the roster of lawyers who have been embroiled in all of this whole circus since the last, um, you know, political administration and, and all the lawyers who need to hire lawyers. Um, and that, that, I think, just shows how, how, how sick and troubled our society is. So um, Brian and I don't really have a cure-all for it, but we're trying to at least have fun while we all go down in flames. Yeah, so you want to expose what's happening, I, I'm, I'm assuming, obviously, yeah, from the book. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. this is very loosely based on Brian Felgoyce, my co-author. It's very loosely based, very, I stress the word very, loosely based on his experience um, going back several years uh, working in the class action legal field. When he kind of stepped in and got in over his head, the story opens in a Dallas, Texas federal courthouse 
where the antagonist, the, the main character, Ryan Coleman, um, is chasing his fee for what he did in a supporting role in this big class action thing. The big guns, the big, big name guys, they're the ones getting tens and tens and even hundreds of millions of dollars. Brian wasn't in that category at all, but he was making a pretty, you know, pretty nice uh, payday, especially for a young lawyer. And he kind of stepped in a big bucket of you-know-what yeah. with the judge. When he, he spoke out of turn, he had kind of that nerve that some guys from Philadelphia have that isn't necessarily viewed as polite in the South. And he got himself into um, into big trouble. So I took that real-life story and you know blew it out of proportion to try and put it into an entertainment um, situation. So you try to create from real life, you're writing a novel, then, you know, you're inviting anybody and everybody to read it, not just lawyers at all. Uh, well, when lawyers read your book, are they going to be laughing at themselves or seeing themselves as characters well, in the book? Well, you know, that's really a question. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a therapist, so I don't know. And I think if I was a therapist, I'm not sure if I would want lawyers in my practice, just joking. But, um, I think that, the, well, the reviews so far have been great, and there have been several lawyers who have responded. I just kind of, sometimes I look at the reviews on Amazon, and various lawyers, I don't I don't know any of them, but they're chiming in on, on, oh, my God, this is really, in a really playful, satirical way, is really exposing some of the truth of what really does go on. Um, and others see it as a satire, and they, they know that, yes, it could be loosely based, but it, you know, in some ways it's pretty far-fetched too. Um, but you know, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a multimillionaire, so I don't really know, you know what the actual daily goings on are with, with these people. But, um, it was fun to imagine and play with it. And it was, you know, it was kind of for a writer. It was a, it was a big wide open playground for me to have fun with. Well, you don't have to be a lawyer, as you said, I think, in the beginning, if you just turn on the television where lawyers are every day, there's some kind of a lawyers on TV, you know, in the morass of all that's happening with uh, our government. It's uh, there's we can't stop talking with lawyers and listening to them. Uh, and as I'm saying, they're on all the time. But all of us, which I find interesting, like when we get in trouble, don't we always say, well, you've got to got to call my lawyer. I mean, when push comes yeah. to shove, it's like, I've got to talk to my lawyer about this, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Brian was saying the other day, oh, everybody hates lawyers. And I go, yeah, everybody hates one until they need one. Um, it, it's not that different from doctors. A lot of people poo-poo doctors. Oh, they're trying to sell. They're just trying to sell drugs and, you know, get us hooked on prescription medicine and stuff like that. And, and you know, there's a certain bit of truth to that, but obviously it's not universal. But I think we all are skeptical of these systems and these institutions until we need them. Um, and But this kind of stuff, class action law, I think does have a very strong track record of benefiting the lawyers and those people related to them the most, um, and not the people who are the subjects of the class actions. Who basically yeah, let's talk about that. I know you're not a lawyer and I'm not a lawyer. I'm a social worker. So although I did go to law school for three weeks, dropped out and decided to get an MSW. So I don't know if I get kudos for that. But um, so but yeah, let's talk about specifically 
class action suits and who are the winners and the losers. Uh, and so you're saying the lawyers really do come out on top and they're mostly men and these guys who came from these Ivy League schools and these Big Ten schools. And I guess well, their testosterone is raging. Is that is it? Is it the testosterone that well, sort of propels yeah, it? I think from my from my point of view, um, having done the necessary research and also having, you know, Brian informing me a lot of stuff and just, you know, reading on my own about it. Um, it seems to me that the system is set up to benefit the corporations first. So let's say there are some people who have been aggrieved, abused, mistreated, whatever in there in, in by a company, whether they were customers or employees, whistleblowers, etc., and they create a class action suit against the company. Well, the company who are ridiculously wealthy, they can end up settling and paying out money and agreeing with the judge on a certain fee that they're going to pay. And it turns out to be good PR for them. This kind of public relations where it sounds like they got really taken to the cleaners. They're paying out four hundred, eight hundred million dollars in damages or even in the billions. But for them, considering what their profits are, it's really not much money at all, but it really looks good to the public who doesn't really read much into it and, and just takes what's on the surface headlines in the news. So the company looks like, oh, we're doing our mea culpa. We're so sorry we didn't do we you know we we didn't treat people right, and now we're going to pay out all this money. But really what they do, they pay out all this money to have a reset, and they go back to be doing all the same stuff they were doing before until they get caught. So, um, David, you're saying so, for the companies it's a co- or corporations, it's really just the cost of doing business. They're prepared for yeah. that. They want to use that money for their marketing. So I guess the second part of I have a question is, like, as consumers – and if we decide to get involved in a class action suit, what do we do or how do we prepare ourselves for doing it? Or is it a waste of time, money and energy? Well, that's a tough one. I don't know that. I mean, so many situations are different. I think if we just gave up entirely and didn't try to create accountability, then it would be even way worse than it already is. I think a lot of it is symbolic. Um, for example, in a huge class action suit, what do we learn from that? So whoever starts it, they're, they're showing us that, hey, you can fight back. You may not win very much, but you can fight back. And I think like on an individual level, maybe each of us can go, hey, you know what? In my own little world where it's not a class action, but maybe somebody is bullying me or maybe this, you know, I can complain about my phone bill because there's unnecessary charges here. Normally I wouldn't even bother to call and I'm not going to take the time, but now I do. And then I end up, you know, getting things fixed. So in a way, when we see these victories, quote unquote, in class actions, I mean, again, who's the victor, who's really winning what, but it, it is in the indirect way, I think reminds us that the only way we can find justice is when we do raise our voice somehow. The only problem is we're raising it in a system that's not really built for the average Joe. It's built for the exclusive Joe, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> um, 
said. The one, well, well that's going... well put. Yeah, the exclusive Joe. It's it's not for the average Joe. Although, getting back to what you said, you know, the companies might be using it as a marketing tool, but also, especially, I'm thinking of things like environmental issues. The those who yeah. are involved in a class action suit highlight what the problem is, and then sometimes it takes oh, on a life. And you know yeah. what? You said that. Thinking about remember the movie Silkwood. I do. And that whole story, I mean, it was very, very much based on, on, on real stuff, and it's still going on, obviously, every day. All we have to do is look at lead in the water in cities and towns all across America. I mean, that, that is such a simple, basic example of, of how the whole power structure has been screwed up for decades. Um, and, and just regular people, and especially people of, of low income and, and, and less potential, perhaps, um, uh, are getting screwed the most, but the environmental fight, they have to happen because then we're yeah. talking about not, not whether our phone bills are too high, but whether we're going to die from drinking polluted water. Um, and so that stuff, I think, I mean, that's not, this book isn't about any of that stuff. There really isn't any environmental, um, class action stuff. And it's not meant to, you know, you know, move the needle in, in that regard. It really is entertainment. I, I, I must say, even though, I mean, I'm be the first one to want to back those causes. And if I could find a way to write about them in a way that I think could be successful, um, I would, but, um, I think you're absolutely right. Those are the class action lawsuits that are really worth something. Even when they don't quote unquote win, we have to, we have to stand for accountability or, or we're all going to be poisoned to death, you know, at the end of the day. And the people who are poisoning us, they just don't care. Let's not even, you know, mince our words around it. They simply do not care. Well, um, we're giving vulnerable population, I think you alluded to this, but uh, we're giving sure. vulnerable populations a voice. And that's really important. Whatever the issue is, yeah, it's one and it's a way of doing it. Ultimate. For you as a social worker who chose to go into social worker, social work as opposed to, 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 to the field of law, isn't that the, the um, ultimate social work in a way? Like on a grand scale, are these big class action suits where we're trying to hold these despicable companies accountable for the damage that they're doing. They're wreaking havoc all over the world. Um, and so that to me you know, to borrow that expression, is really the ultimate social work because we're trying to, to, those those legal actions are trying to help society. And those lawyers who are doing that work, I mean, that's sort of God's work right there because they're really in the trenches up against, you know, it's a David and Goliath story all the time. What about ma- the money part of it? Because we're talking about millionaires and billionaires. Is it okay to do what we're doing and to help vulnerable populations and and do exactly what we've been talking about and at the same time become a millionaire or a billionaire uh, because of it? Well, I think maybe in relative terms, the millionaire conversation is is viable uh, in some perspective. And you think about, look at how many doctors make a lot of money I mean, they're cutting our chests open and operating on our hearts or our brains. Um, 
yeah, that's a pretty high level. I mean, is, is, there, is there anything even higher level, um, you know, skill set than that, that takes so much education, so much dedication and commitment that, yes, in a modern Western capitalist society, those people are going to be well rewarded. And the same thing for the lawyers who have the expertise and the experience to pull off a class action suit um, in the way that was done um, in Silkwood, for example. Yes, I guess it's fair enough. Those people are well compensated. But then we get into billionaire levels. That's perverse. That's just plain old perversion to me. There's no reason anyone in my mind, just in my own personal philosophy about life on the planet, you know, and, and, you know, can't we all just get along? There's no reason. I don't see any reason why anyone should become a billionaire. It makes no sense for that unequal distribution of wealth for have one person sitting on a bank account that large while they're surrounded by thousands of people who can't eat. It makes no sense to me at all. and never will. How do you become a billionaire? I try to put that in. I'm never quite sure how that happens. I mean, um, <laughs> well, well, let me know if you find out. Um, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't even, honestly, I know this sounds, it's convenient to say when I'm, I'm not even a millionaire, so I could talk loosely out of my mouth about not wanting to be a billionaire. But in a way, I, I, I kind of, in an abstract way, I think I would never want that. I wouldn't even want to be responsible for that amount of wealth and some of the quote unquote power that comes with it. I just think it's, it's a, it's a, I don't know. I mean, there's maybe, there's probably, there are a handful of billionaires here and there who use that money that they've made through whatever means um, for good, that they're extremely philanthropic and they do really spread out the wealth and use it for good purposes. But I don't think that's a majority, <laughs> to say the least. Um, and I don't think that people become billionaires by necessarily, you know, scoring points with people who, you know, claim to live an ethical life. It's kind of hard to imagine. Um, cause you know, of course everybody, I come up with the name and I'm not the only one. I mean, Bill Gates, we, I mean, he's changed the world in his way. Um, billionaire wise, um, I, f- I find these guys fascinating. I've been, you know, I'm asking you the question because I've been sort of reading these autobiographies or biographies of these billionaires. They're all very different in terms of where they come from. Very, some very, mm-hmm. you know, meager means, some middle class, some wealthy, but there's something in their own characters that propel them into being able to do this. Good, and I, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of bad stuff happens along the way. But that's another topic. I want to. I mean, it's part and of this they, topic. And, and, and if you're a billionaire, you 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 get to you get to tell the story a hundred percent that you want to tell. You yeah. control the whole narrative <laughs> in that regard. And your publish yeah. you control your publisher because you're the biggest cash cow for your publisher. So there 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 it's a control trip, you know, all yeah. the way. Uh, well, okay, well, let's get back to the book because I want to know just, did you have fun writing the book? And I want to talk about some of them. Maybe we don't have that much time left, but the research that goes into writing a book like this. Well, yes, I did have fun. It was, you know, I've, I've done, um, I don't know how familiar you are with some of my other stuff, but I, I, you know, I've done a lot of, um, writing on really serious subjects like cancer and mental health and domestic abuse and, 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 you know, parenting and divorce and, 
you know, pretty heavy subjects that did require a lot of research and, and, and back up and trying to make that material accessible and digestible for a general public. And, and that's been great challenges. And I love doing that. Um, this was like a wide open playground for me to write filthy rich lawyers. Um, and I did do research, for example, um, these wealthy people are in restaurants drinking bottles of champagne and then going on to their expensive yachts. And I couldn't just make that stuff up off the top of my head. I actually did have to find out research. Like what are the wine? What are these wines? Where do they even come from that cost $45,000 a bottle? Um, what, what, where and how is a $750 million yacht, um, made and, and, and what does it cost to run? And, and, and those were things I did do actual research. I didn't just make up those names and figures, you know, out of my behind, which I, which you kind of can do a little bit in a novel, but I wanted it to be authentic, um, in those details. Um, so did you actually get that? My question is, did you actually get to taste those $25,000 bottles of champagne or go on the yachts? That's, that's, interesting research. Well, hopefully, yeah, well, I, you know, I, I've just finished the second book in the series and I'm, I, you make me think now, like I should try to make that a prerequisite if I'm going to write the third one. <laughs> I need to sample the buffet, please. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, there were so many like different kinds of exotic foods, you know, like imagine if you're a billionaire and you don't, you're not going to just drink coffee that you bought in Whole Foods, you can afford to buy Whole Foods if you want the whole thing. You're going to have your coffee, you know, coffee beans on your own farm, coffee plantation in Ecuador or who knows where, um, and have them flown into your yacht every day if you want, because you have unlimited money and resources to do that. And so that was kind of a world to just play with a little bit. It's kind of fun for, you know, a little while. And then it just becomes like so absurd that I just don't want to spend too much time on that. But really the story is not driven by those things. The story really is a moral dilemma for the main character, Ryan Coleman, who's young and ambitious and gets in quickly over his head. And then he has to say, do I really want to play in this world? All these opportunities are being handed to me because I'm young and sharp and willing Where's my moral compass? How was I raised? And what do I really believe in? And what, what are my values? So at the end of the day, that's really what the book is about. Is, and is I those, think, those... you know, we, we need to take a look at that. What are what are uh, our ethical issues and our moral, moral values? It doesn't it's not just limited to billionaires. I mean, if you take a look at what's happening to us politically, um, as you say, it, it seems like yeah. our yeah our moral values are crumbling in all sectors of our population. You're right in all sectors, and people take for granted like like despicable behavior, and they go, "Well, that's just the way it is." And I and I'm like, "But that doesn't that's not right. <laughs> it's yeah. not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, it's not it's not fair, and it's not right." So. We, you know, we live in this ridiculously fast-moving pace of news, and and there's so much comes in that we can't even digest it all. 
And every day, I mean, you, you know, you're alluding to it. There's so much awful behavior going on, but we sort of take it as par for the course. We accept and it, I and I think, as you said, it comes in. There's so much information that comes in. We don't really process it. Maybe we we hear it, but we and listen to it, but we don't really process it. We don't really take it in, and we go on to next. Uh, we just keep on going on to next. But exactly, and and yeah. sometimes don't realize how it actually does affect us. We think, oh, that's those guys over there, or that's that family over there. But indirectly, I think we're all affected um, by greed by the greed of all these people it does has rippling effects on all of us well you could go and i'm not a religious person but i guess you could go back to the old testament and sodom and gomorrah we haven't changed it's exactly the same human behavior Hello. yeah <laughs> i think i think that you know it's it's not really much more complicated than that you look yeah. at the seven deadly sins right yeah um I'm thinking those really ought to be expanded. There's a lot more than seven. <laughs> <laughs> well, for your next book, those, you can add that. You can that's going to be the title, and then you can add on like twenty or you know even more deadly sins. I hate to cut yeah. this short because, um, but we only have a couple minutes left, so I want to be sure that everybody knows the website and or websites to go to so they to buy the okay, book. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and to and to follow well, you because you have um, you written website, so many other books. Oh, sorry. Um, the website is pretty simple. It's um, filthyrichlawyers.com, all one word, filthyrichlawyers.com. And from there, you can read a little bit more about um, the book and about Brian and me, and then you know, click on where you can uh, buy the book real easily online or in other, other places. Um, my website is my last name, Tabatsky, T-A-B-A-T, S-K-Y, Tabatsky.com, and you can find out more um, about me and the work that I do. Um, and, yeah, the book has been out just about a week now and seems to be doing, doing pretty well, and we're, we're excited about um, those possibilities. And as I said, at the end of this week, I'm handing in the manuscript to the publisher for the second book, and I'm not exactly sure when that will get released, but um, I think pretty early um, in 2023. So, yeah, we're Great. we're we're on a good roll here. You're on yeah. a roll. That's cool. And we'll be looking for the second book. But first, read the first book, uh, "Filthy Rich Lawyers," Book One: The Education of Ryan Coleman. It's been a real treat talking to you today. Thanks, David. David Tabaski. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really nice appreciate time. it. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm. 